You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Well, we're in the 20th week of our series on the book of Acts. If you're new to Rev Church and you're visiting, what we like to do here about 90 to 95% of the time is we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. We feel like that is the best way for us congregationally and corporately to study the Bible together. And uh, so we've been in this book for about a half a year, roughly. And last week, Pastor Donovan did an incredible job of closing down Acts chapter 12. Now, I've told you guys this a few times. If the book of Acts was split up into a first Acts and a second Acts, similar to like 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, first Acts would be chapters 1 through 12. Because in chapters 1 through 12, the focus is heavily, 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 almost exclusively on Peter's ministry. Uh, We did have that little break in chapter 9 where we talked about the conversion story of Paul. More on that here in just a second. But, But it's mostly about Peter's ministry. Second Acts begins today, so to speak. Uh, in chapter 13. Today we're going to be connecting a lot of dots throughout the book of Acts. As we continue to go through the book of Acts, we're going to be referring back to a whole lot of different passages and sermons that we've done. Uh, but yeah, this ministry, this chapters 13 through 28 focuses not on Peter, but on who we know as Paul. Uh, chapters 1 through 12, first five to 10 years of the early church. Uh, chapters 13 through 28, roughly the next 20 years of the early church. Now, I'm not going to give a huge introduction on Paul because we had a pretty hefty introduction in Acts chapter 9. Pastor Brandon did a great job of uh, unpacking the conversion story of Paul. Jeff, who's our Rev Mints minister, did a great job of talking about the wilderness that Paul went through for several years that really was preparing him for being launched out into ministry in Acts 13 today. But Paul is probably the second most significant historical figure in Christianity. One theologian uh, says that Paul had the most brilliant mind that ever walked the earth other than our Lord Jesus. And today, we get a glimpse into Paul's first recorded sermon. We get to see him preach uh, to a couple of people and probably a little bit of a bigger crowd. So we're going to be in Acts 13, Verses 1 through 12, we're going to stop along the way, give you some points, a lot of setup. Again, if this was second Acts, the beginning of a book, we're setting up a lot of things that are going to be coming. So let's start in verse 1. Everybody ready? Say, I am. It's going to be good today. We had a fun time in the first service. Uh, Verse 1, I'm going to read it, and then we'll talk about a couple of things in verse 1, okay? Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. A couple of things that we have to unpack from verse 1 to really do this passage of Scripture justice. First off, there is a major switch in Acts chapter 13 where the main missionary activity that takes place moves from the church in Jerusalem that we read about in the first 12 books or first 12 chapters to now the main missionary focus and missionaries being sent out and churches being planted is coming out of a church called the Antioch Church. Now, this is the church in Syria, Antioch. Antioch City was the center point for Eastern and Western civilizations. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire and had the nickname Queen of the East. 
Chuck Swindoll says this about Antioch. In this compost-like blend of East and West good and bad, morality and depravity, the gospel germinated, took root, and flourished like a rose in a garbage dump. At the Antioch church, it was the first place that believers were referred to as Christians. We see in this first verse that there was incredible diversity, and the church in Antioch replaces the church in Jerusalem as the center point for church activity. This is the church that commissioned Paul in Acts 13, as you're going to see here today, in Acts 14 and sends him out, in Acts 15 and sends him out, and in Acts 18 and sends him out. At this point, you don't hear hardly anything else about the church in Jerusalem. The Jerusalem church is in the background, but there's absolutely no movement from Jerusalem. From here out, all missions, all church planning flows from the church in Antioch. 10 to 15 years, roughly, after the church has exploded in Jerusalem, it seems that the church in Jerusalem has now fallen silent. Now, this is important, and the reason it's important is because you need to understand, if you're visiting with Revolution Church, that our church strives to be the Antioch church in Acts chapter 13. We do everything we can to not get to a point where all of a sudden we're silent and there's no missionary activity. Now, partly we need to understand that there is a time and season for every single church. Every single one of the churches that Paul plants, guess what? They're not alive today and they died at some point. But we strive at this church to do everything we can to continue being a sending church, a church that has people go, a church planting church. We never want to go silent at Revolution Church. Amen, Rev Church. I was uh, on a Facebook page that was a very nostalgic Facebook page. I don't know if it was about the 90s or 80s or something like that. And uh, I was flipping through the pictures on this page because they were really funny because I recognized uh, some of the things that they were talking about in what, they, what we call a meme. Does anybody know what a meme is? Raise your hand if you know what a meme is. Okay. If you don't know what a meme is, it's a picture that's on social media typically uh, that makes fun of or, or says something funny about something. So you see the picture, it says something. Uh, let me show you some of these memes from this nostalgic page that I was looking at. Let's go through them real quick. Let's see if you guys remember any of this stuff. Today in 1987, your school served you this for lunch, and you were excited about it. Best pizza there ever was. Amen, y'all? Yes, we got pizza. Oh, my goodness. I put ranch dressing on mine. Anybody else do that? That was the bomb right there. Hit the next one, please. Anybody remember this, Mr. T? If you were a kid in the 80s, half your class was named Missy or Jenny. All your cartoons had a breakfast cereal, and Mr. T was possibly the president. Anybody remember Mr. T? Other than Jesus, the strongest man that ever lived in the 80s, right? Like, he could take on anybody. You remember that? That was awesome. Go to the next one, guys. 80s hair. The wind didn't stand a chance. How many of y'all had hair like that? Raise your hand. Woo! Boy, it gets worse. Don't worry, okay? Don't feel bad about your hair. It gets worse. Hit the next one, guys. Uh, the Weather Channel. Weather Channel said dress for the mid-70s. Some of y'all miss that polyester, don't you? can't run too fast, you catch on fire, you know. 
Look at that, boy. Looking good. Miss those clothes, don't we? Hit the next one, guys. Kids now complaining about waiting five seconds for Netflix to work. Meanwhile, we had to live through this. Anybody remember that? The dial-up internet. Uh, Back when the interwebs. What's this interweb stuff? This internets. And I don't understand it. WWW. I don't know, you know. (laughs) Hit the next one, guys. Can we go to the playground? Yeah, but hang on a minute. Daddy's got to finish his McMarlboro. Remember when they had ashtrays at McDonald's? Remember that? Ashtrays. And you took it. That was their advertisement. Remember smoking sections in restaurants? Anybody remember that? It's like, oh, we're going to sit five feet away from them, and that smoke's not going to affect. It's like the COVID stuff. You know, We're going to put plexiglass up, and all of a sudden we're not going to get sick. It's so stupid. If somebody believes that, vote them out. I mean, it's just crazy, man. I'm not trying to be political, but gee whiz, it's like the smoking sections. Remember them. (laughs) Maybe that's not a good memory. I don't know. Go to the next one. Go to the next one. I just put this one up there because of what we're in. Where are you going, Doc? Back to 1998, Marty, to fill the tank up. Amen. (laughs) Repeat the line. Hit the next one. Uh, Kids today spend too much time on devices. Me in 1987 spending three days trying to land this jump. Remember original Nintendo? Every generation does that, don't we? We're like, oh, these kids on these video games, and we had to restart our Mario game. Hit the next one. We got a few more. Remember the unfolding the cassette tape to read the lyrics? Y'all remember that? Oh, man. Man. We got some old folks in here, y'all. I'm sorry. We're old up in here, okay? So hit the next one. There's the Mandalorian of our generation. That's the Mandalorian, right? Y'all know who that is? Raise your hand. You know who that is? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Hit the next one. Hit the next one. Now, this doesn't have anything on it. I just saw this, and I thought to myself, how many of y'all had that refrigerator? Raise your hand. And then here's the thing. You probably still have it, and it's working right now. It's going to outlive all of us. Man, I wish they made things like they used to, don't y'all? Like, it's just crazy. Like, hit the next one, guys. I think we've got a few more. Rare photo of a remote control from the 70s. (laughs) Miss those days, don't you? People cried about stepping on Legos. I've never heard of Jax. Remember Jax? Legos got nothing on Jax, literally. (laughs) How many more do we got, guys? We got any more? Go to the next one. This is the last one. I just thought it was funny. doesn't really fit, but this is how I feel sometimes. Me, stands up really fast. My entire body, every light goes off. Like, this is broke, this is broke, this is broke. Anybody else feel like that? Raise your hand. I miss the good old days, man. You know, I miss some of that stuff. Stuff's very nostalgic to me. Makes me wish that we were still like that. I look at our country now and the culture we're living in, and I'm like, man, I feel like I'm living on Mars sometimes, you know? Everybody's losing their mind. We're having debates about things that I'm like going, what in the world? Wish we had the old days back. I've got a theory, and this is just speculation, that the church in Jerusalem remembered the old days and hung on to them. And they fell silent. They fell silent. The church in Antioch said, hey, Let's move and shake the gospel. Push it as far as we can. Let's raise up young leaders. Let's send them out. Let's plant churches. And that's what we want to do here at Revolution Church. We do everything we can to raise up young leaders. 
We want them to stand on our shoulders. We taught you guys during our legacy campaign that for us, it's about the next generation taking Revolution Church and the gospel further than we ever thought possible, ever. I said many times, if I get to preach to hundreds, my prayer is that Pastor Brandon gets to preach to thousands, and then Pastor Donovan gets to preach to tens of thousands. That's what we're shooting for. My son listens to Christian rap music. And how many of y'all in here listen to hip-hop music or rap music, okay? Uh, not a whole lot of y'all, or y'all are lying because you're in Crossville, and you're like, oh, no. The number one genre of music in the world right now, and it's not even close, y'all. There's not even a close second. is hip-hop and rap. My prayer is that one day I'll be sitting on the front row. Pastor Brandon, Pastor Donovan will be up here. And somebody is going to be like leading worship with hip-hop music or a rap song. I won't have a clue what they're saying. I won't know what's going on. I'll probably be secretly judging them in my mind, right? But I hope I'm the guy that sits on the front row and supports and is a part because people are getting saved, people are getting baptized, and lives are being changed. I hope I'm not the guy that's like, oh, we just got to hang on to raise a hallelujah. We just got to hang on to the way we've always done church. I hope that our church stays an Antioch church. Does that make sense, Rev Church? Say amen. Secondly, what we see in the first verse, and we've got to unpack this again because of our culture today that is so divided. I don't think I've ever seen our culture in America more divided over race, over how we vote, over so many different things. But the early church, clearly this church in Antioch had incredible diversity If you look at just the names of the leadership of the church, listen, Barnabas was a former priest from Cyprus. Simeon was a Jew whose nickname meant black, so he's a black guy. Lucius was a Greek proselyte. He was a Greek proselyte from North Africa, probably another black guy. Uh, Manan was a Hellenistic Jew that grew up and was the foster brother of Herod. And then you've got Saul of Tarsus, whose Greek name is Paul. And Saul of Tarsus was a Pharisee that studied under, I believe his name's Gilgal. That may be a wizard in a movie, though. But Gilgal, I think, uh, sounds like a wizard in a movie, doesn't it? But he was one of the most prominent Pharisee teachers that there was. Look at the diversity of the church in Antioch. Now, this is important because if you were here when we preached out of Acts chapter 6, you saw that a couple years into the early church, there was a division between the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews, and there was incredible cultural divides that were taking place. But by the time we get to Acts chapter 13, there is unity, and the church has gotten over looking at race, background, socioeconomic status, and they are united to push the gospel forward. Martin Luther King, probably one of my favorite sayings that he has is he talks about the church in America, and he says, the most segregated hour in America is on Sunday mornings during church time. You know, the Bible's very clear that every human being is made equal in God's eyes. So let me just give you a couple of verses if you're in here. And you don't like people for whatever reason. You don't like black people. You don't like white people. You don't like Hispanic people. Hey, we're in Crossville. You don't like those crazy northerners from Fairfield. You know what I'm saying? You're from Fairfield, and you can't stand the hillbillies that live here. You know what I mean? Whatever reason. 
whatever reason, listen to a couple of these verses. Genesis 1, 27, God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. We're all created in the image of God. We're all created in the image of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, sin entered the world through one man, that was Adam, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Guess what? No matter your background, no matter your race, no matter whatever, we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. We're all broken. We've all done something wrong. We're created in the image of God, but we spit in His face because we sinned. Romans chapter 3, verse 22, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. People that were created in the image of God, that were sinners, all have the opportunity to turn from their sin and repent and put their trust in Christ and be in heaven forever with Jesus. You know, if, if you're in here and you don't like a certain group of people for whatever reason, you know, you're a Republican and you hate Democrats, whatever, you know what I mean? Um, that one was quiet. Hmm. When you get to heaven, you need to know this. Revelation chapter 7 tells us that when we all get to heaven, we're all going to be standing in one giant worship service together. That there will be people from every nation and every tongue, every color, men, women, every background, rich people, poor people, every kind of person you can imagine. And we're all going to be worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of Lord Jesus. Listen, if, if you don't like a group of people for whatever reason, heaven is going to stink for you. You're going to hate it. You're going to look around and be like, oh, what'd they let white boys in here for? What'd they let black people in here for? What'd they let? You're going to hate heaven. You're going to be hanging out with all kinds of people, the diversity of the early church. Makes sense, Rev Church. Say amen. Let's go to verse 2. I'm sorry. We spent a lot of time on verse 1. I've been gone for two weeks. Sorry, y'all know. Got to get it in. Verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, hey, here's a good formula. You're trying to figure out what God wants you to do? Fast and pray. That last time I preached on this scripture was supernatural prayers when COVID hit. Okay, y'all? And we went on a churchwide fast for 30 days. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Let me point something out real quick. Just do some teaching on this because there's a lot of confusion in the church about laying on of hands. In this instance, when they commission Paul and Barnabas, they lay hands on them and pray for them. Uh, uh, it's appropriate to lay hands on deacons and pray for them when you commission them. Lay hands on elders when you commission them. Missionaries, lay hands on them, pray for them. Uh, we had a very good friend of mine a couple weeks ago who's been sick with something. Come to my office in between services. The elders showed up. We laid hands on them and prayed for them. There's nothing mystical about that, okay, guys? It's not like some Star Wars thing where the force, we, we transfer the force from our hands to their body or something like that. There is nothing mystical about this, and there's a lot of bad teaching in the church about this. What they were essentially saying was, we endorse you by laying hands on Paul and Barnabas. We authorize you to carry out this mission on our behalf, and we are going to go with you in spirit as we pray for you here at home. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. Okay, so they lay hands on them, pray for them. Verse 4, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God 
in the Jewish synagogues. You're going to see a pattern. We'll probably unpack this pattern next week about where they went first. You see it right here. They go to the synagogues first. John was with them as their helper. This is John Mark. We'll hear more about him later. Uh, There's going to be a division that happens between Paul and Barnabas. John Mark, of course, was the cousin of Barnabas. He was the son of Mary back in Acts chapter 12, verse 12. The church prayed in her house. She was a very wealthy woman. Her son is John Mark. You'll hear more about him later. Uh, Verse 6. Y'all still with me? Sam. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. Now, let me show you a map of what we have just started, which is the first missionary journey of Paul. There were definitely three missionary journeys that Paul took, and four if you count what some refer to as his prison journey. This is the first one. Over here, we just got talking about the church in Antioch, okay, in Syria. They leave, they go to Salamis, they go to Paphos, and then they go. You're going to hear more about these places later uh, in the coming weeks because uh, about halfway through chapter 14 is when this mission trip is over, okay? But they go all the way to Derby, and then the blue line, the red line's when they go. The blue line is when they come back to the church. They, kit, they skip Cyprus on the way back. So right now, we're in Salamis, we're in Paphos. Uh, this mission trip took about a year and a half to two years for Paul to complete. Uh, most theologians... Uh, would agree that it started somewhere in the spring of A.D. 47 till the fall of A.D. 48, something like that. Uh, Major point that we need to point out, just again setting up the rest of this mission trip, is that uh, this place, if you could put that map back up there, guys, this place, especially up here, Lystra, Derby, Antioch of Asia, you're going to see there's some shady people. Paul gets stoned in Lystra. There's some crazy stuff that happens. It was a pretty terrifying place. Lots of mountains. Uh, so much so, we know it's terrifying because John Mark's like, I'm out. I'm going back home. You know what I mean? I don't want to do this no more. There's people robbing people, people trying to kill us, people trying to do everything. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. Let's continue, though, uh, in verse 6. There... When they came to Paphos, there they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. Now, I'm getting ready to get into the meat of my preaching, okay, and give you three points, okay? We got to do it. They all kind of rhyme, three points. But let me unpack these two characters that we're introduced to in this verse. The proconsul and Bar-Jesus, because it's important for you to understand who they were, what their background is, to understand the rest of the passage. The proconsul was a man named Sergius Paulus. Proconsuls at the time were political figures that reported directly to the Senate. This man would be given absolute military power and judicial power in this particular province. This guy was a career politician that would serve one term, roughly one year, as a proconsul, and then he would be promoted to a council. Uh, to summarize all that, just understand this the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, was a high ranking politician in the Roman government. Now, understand this politicians in Paul's time were looked at very similarly to the way we view politicians in our time. Nobody liked them. Nobody wanted anything to do with them. They were pretty dirty. A lot of things went on behind the scenes that weren't on the up and up. If I was to uh, do a survey of everyone at Rev Church this weekend and say, do you trust or like politicians? Everybody would say what? No. 
say no. Like, like there's this bad connotation with politicians in our culture. Many of you would say a politician will find an excuse to get out of anything except office. You know what I mean? You guys know the difference. And if you're a politician here, we love you, but we make fun of everybody. We make fun of everybody, okay? We make fun of everybody, okay? Even me. Is that not right, Rev Church? Say amen. So if you get your panties in a wad over this, this ain't the church for you, okay? (laughs) What's the difference between a politician and a snail? One is slimy and a pest and leaves a trail everywhere, and the other is a snail. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's your dad joke for the day. Now, my point in telling you this, real simple, you're going to see this till the end of the book of Acts. Now, when we get into the letters Paul writes, and we've preached through those, you know that most of those have to do with like uh, how the church should run and function, and he's correcting Christians. But from 13 to 28 in the book of Acts, those chapters, man, Paul is willing to share the gospel with anyone, even a dirty politician. So this pro-council, while he was a man of intelligence, as the scriptures tell us, He still knew that it was wise to have advisors. And that's where this false prophet called Bar-Jesus comes in. Bar-Jesus was the name used in this verse, but later you're going to see them use his Greek name, Alemus. He was a magician. He was highly sought after. It was very common for magicians to be part of political parties. They functioned almost like a chaplain. Uh, Bar-Jesus would say he represents God, but he lacked a divine connection to the one true God. Now, this Bar-Jesus was not like Simon Magnus from Acts chapter 8. Remember when we talked about him. The Greek word that was used to describe the magic that Simon Magus used was a word megeo. It makes me think of Magneto from X-Men for some reason, but megeo. Now, that was an evil, horrible form of magic. But here in Acts chapter 13, the word that's used to describe the form of magic that Bar-Jesus used is magi. Does that sound familiar? Remember the three wise men, the Christmas story? So he is a magi. He's a Persian priest that blended science with pagan superstitions, highly intelligent man, well-traveled, had a lot of experience, but did not know the one true God. Now, watch how this plays out between Paul and these two characters, and watch as we really learn about what could potentially be three different types of people Uh, when you're sharing the gospel, three different types of responses that can happen when you're sharing the gospel. Watch what happens. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he, listen to this, wanted to hear the word of God. Let me say that again. He wanted to hear the word of God. Number one, some people will be open to the gospel. Notice, he wanted to hear the word of God. He was open to the gospel. My personal evangelism strategy is that I do not try to argue people into the kingdom. Uh, I do the best I can to not offend people uh, because the gospel is offensive enough. And I really pray about when is the right time, Lord, God, tell me when the right time is for me to share the gospel with someone that is ready. Jesus would say someone that has ears to hear the gospel. Uh, In the church, we would say, God, please send me a person of peace. In other words, what we refer to it as in church services is someone that is a seeker, 
seeking. Who is God? How can I know God? This was the proconsul. He wanted to hear about God. So Paul goes and has a face-to-face interaction. Simple point. I would just encourage you in your evangelism strategy, make sure it's face-to-face and make sure whoever you share the gospel with is ready to hear the gospel. Does that make sense, Rep Church? And I'll expound on this later in some examples in my life. Make sense, everybody? Say amen. Okay, so, so make sure, like, in 15 years of full-time ministry, I'm going to tell you guys, listen, I've never led someone to Christ over email, over text message, and I sure ain't ever led anybody to Christ over Facebook or social media. So think about that, okay? You get on social media, you start freaking out on people. Uh, it may not help. It may hurt. Notice the face-to-face interaction. Continue in verse 8. So some people are going to be open to the gospel. Verse 8, But Elimus the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul. At this point, little side note, everybody needs to be aware of this. Saul of Tarsus now is referred to by the author of the book of Acts, Luke, as Paul, and he's never referred to by his Hebrew name ever again. He becomes a missionary really to the Gentiles. And this is the moment where Saul, his Hebrew name, becomes Paul, his Greek name. Never called Saul again. And his name actually means small. Saul was small. Isn't that awesome? I got time to unpack this, I think. I think I'm going to tell you all something. Everybody got time? Say amen. You got to stay. It's my sermon, so I'm just going <laughs> to preach it the way I want. I was with a fellow pastor last week, older gentleman of a small little church, great guy, loves the Lord, no he does, uh, but we had some different visions for, for ministry, and uh, he was telling me like, we're trying to build our children's ministry up, and we're trying to build our youth ministry up, and, and literally what he said was, uh, you know, the problem with our youth ministry, we can't get it built up because we got too many nerds, and I was like, oh, you got too many nerds, and continues to tell me that, yeah, I used to be in a church where we had the head cheerleader. Nothing wrong with head cheerleader, most popular football player. And that's how you build a youth ministry is is you get the popular kids, and that's what builds it up. And, man, I was thinking in my head, well, he should come to our church. You know what I mean? Like, no offense, but like, you know. (laughs) And if that hurts your pride, you needed that, okay? Paul here is small. One person that studied Paul said that Paul was a man of small stature with a bald head and crooked legs. He had a state of good body. He had a unibrow and a nose that was somewhat hooked. We know he couldn't see well. He had an eye condition. It's been speculated that when he was converted on the Damascus Road, remember he went blind, that ever since that point he had an eye condition. He couldn't see well. And this is the guy who's standing before the most powerful man in the province sharing the gospel. He's a nerd. Everybody with me say amen? I don't know about y'all, but that's encouraging to me. Because if you're in here and you feel like you're worthless and you feel like, what can I do? And maybe you think you don't look like a leader, you don't sound like a leader, you got too many problems, you got this and that, God can still use you. 
I'm just thinking of people in my head through Scripture, David, Moses, all the different people that God used. Sometimes he uses, you know, people that are good-looking and look like leaders, and there's nothing wrong with that. But most of the time, God uses the nerds. And I think he does that because when people see what God does, they can't say it had anything to do with that person. Hello, Rev Church. Boy, it's got to be God because that guy... Like somebody wrote an anonymous letter to me one time. He's like a chihuahua on crack. It's got to be God at Rev Church. I love that. Is everybody with me? Amen? I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just telling you. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. This is why we refer to the book of Acts at Rev Church as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because every time something cool happens, they're always filled with the Holy Spirit. Look straight at Lemus and said... You are a child of the devil. Now, this was a very strong insult because remember his name, Bar-Jesus? His name actually means son of salvation. And so when Paul says you're a child of the devil, it is an extremely sarcastic dig at the man's very identity. You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. The Greek word that's used here for deceit is a word that means con artist. It means someone who takes advantage of others by using underhanded schemes. So understand the insult. You are full of all kinds of cons and deceit and underhanded schemes and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Some people are going to be opposed to the gospel. And you need to know that. When you really grab a hold of the Great Commission and try to win people to Jesus in your life, you need to understand that some people will be opposed to the gospel. Paul here, this scripture is just so rich and so thick. When he says, will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? A better translation of that question can be found in the NASB where it says, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? What Paul says when he says that, we don't understand 2,000 years later, but at the time they knew exactly what he was saying because he was drawing from an old Hebraic expression that had a double meaning. There was a direct connection to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, that says, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And what he was saying was, You are not allowing Jesus to come down the road and enter the city. Because a city prepared for the arrival of a king by upgrading the road leading into the town. When they knew a king was coming, they removed every obstacle, every single bit of debris. They would fill the potholes. They would make sure the landscaping was good so that when the king came in, he came in on the best road possible. Paul is looking at Bar-Jesus and he's saying, you're a pothole to the gospel. You're an obstacle to the gospel. You're blocking Jesus coming into this city. Two weeks ago, tomorrow, something incredible happened in Crossville, Tennessee. It's been two weeks since yes, tomorrow. Do anybody know what that is? What is it, y'all? Bucky's opened up. If you haven't been, it'll change your life. Bucky's, if you're watching, sponsor me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Bucky's open. 
two months ago, I got my blood work back and found that I had high LDL cholesterol. And I was like, oh man, you know, heart problems running my family, so I better like, hello, my dad just had quadruple bypass surgery, you know what I'm saying? And so I better do something because I don't want to have quadruple bypass surgery. And so tried to start eating more plant-based, went on intermittent fasting, cut off my food at six because if y'all are anything like me, the time I eat the most and the worst is when I get home, I'm relaxed, the day's over, 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night, give me a box of graham crackers and some milk, I'm good to go. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like that's when you eat because you can enjoy it. So I cut it off at 6 every night, was doing great, doing really good, came back from vacation. Bucky's open. My first day back. And Bucky's the last two weeks has been an obstacle to my health, a pothole to my health. My wife's like, you got to quit spending money there. I'm like, I can't help it. They got edible cookie dough. What do you want me to do? They got a beef jerky bar. What do you want me to do? I don't, uh, you know, 20 different kinds of ICs. What can I do? I can't. It's 120 steps from the church to there. It takes me 90 seconds, 90 seconds to walk over. I went yesterday, y'all. I just got to confess it. Like, (laughs) but when my dad had his surgery, not this past Thursday, but the Thursday before, you know, this past week, I was thinking, I was like, man, I better get some discipline in my life. And I better quit going to Bucky's, man. I better stop. I need to suck it up if I want to do what's best, right? When it comes to sharing your faith, there's going to be all kinds of obstacles that get you off track. There's going to be all kinds of potholes. There's going to be all kinds of Bucky's standing in the way of your diet. But at some point, every believer has to accept the responsibility of the Great Commission. We have to realize at some point that the book of Acts was never meant to end in Acts chapter 28. The book of Acts ends in Revelation chapter 3. And we're in between that time frame right now. And so the Great Commission lives on and moves through us. I'm scared. I don't think I'll have all the answers. I don't know what to say. I don't know if I'll fit in after I share the gospel, after I'll be a light for Jesus. At some point, we just got to look at each other and we got to quit being spiritual snowflakes and we got to say, you know what? We're going to suck it up, buttercup, and we're going to get the gospel to a broken and dying world. Does that make sense to everybody? There's going to be opposition and there's going to be obstacles in the way. Last verse and I'm almost done. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed. Now, you may be thinking in here he believed because he saw Bar-Jesus go blind. If you remember uh, Simon Magus, we talked about how he believed in the miracles of God and he was astonished by the miracles of God, but not in the God who does miracles. Well, the reason the proconsul gets saved, it tells us in this verse, when the proconsul saw what happened, he believed. For he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. He didn't believe because he went blind. He, went, he believed because he heard the gospel and was blown away. Third type of person, third response. Some people will embrace the gospel. Embrace the gospel. He heard about a God that offers grace, that loved people, sent his son to die for their sins so that they could go to heaven for eternity and be with him. And he was blown away and he put his trust in Jesus. That's our whole goal when we share the gospel. Amen, Rev Church? We want people to meet Jesus. I remember I was in my early 20s, and I'm almost done. Y'all still with me? Sam. 
I was in my early 20s. And uh, um, real early 20s. I'd been saved probably less than five years. And we had a family member uh, that was just clearly not saved, didn't know Jesus, was making horrible decisions, doing messed up stuff, and uh, had been doing it for a long time. And my wife and I were discussing this person one day and just talking about him and not gossiping about him, just out of concern. And I remember I just kept hitting on, why doesn't somebody just go share the gospel with him? Why doesn't somebody just go, go, go tell him about Jesus and tell him what he's doing is wrong and he's heading down a dead end and yada, yada, yada. And my wife, as wives do, very unlovingly looked at me and said, well, you just, like, this is how I heard it. This is probably not what she said. But I heard, will you shut up, quit saying somebody else needs to do it, and go do it yourself? Why don't you go share the gospel with them? And being a good husband, like many of us are, I argued with her. You don't understand. It can't be me. I don't know him real well. And he's 20 years older than me. I can't do that. Blah, 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 blah. But about 11 o'clock that night that she said that to me, I'll never forget. Man, I couldn't sleep. I got up, went and knocked on the door, got him out of bed, spent about two hours on the front porch talking, challenging, sharing the gospel with him. Didn't get saved right then. To my knowledge, hasn't. But I know the peace I had knowing that I did what God told me to do. We had a neighbor. This is why I say you got to be ready. you got to wait till someone's ready to hear the gospel, okay? Uh, because a lot of people have been very abusive about how they share the gospel. And so you got to be really spirit-led. If it's anything we learn from the book of Acts, it's being spirit-led, right? We moved into our house, and uh, we had a neighbor, one of my best friends, probably my best friend today still. And uh, we loved on this couple for two years. Loved on them, loved on them, loved on them. Got involved in a ministry that I was involved in and heading up. And uh, after I left and we moved to Crossville for ministry to work for a church, it was like years after I left, they ended up getting saved, baptized, recommitted their life, whole deal, marriage, everything, on fire for Jesus, on fire for Jesus. Now, I say that because if we had came in the first day we moved into our house, guns blazing, going over their house saying, you know, you better turn or burn, you know what I mean? You, you better get with the Lord or drive a Ford, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's hot in hell, baby. You don't want to be chicken fried, you know what I mean? Like, probably never would have been friends with them. Probably would have turned them off. Does that make sense to everybody say amen? Two years of love, sacrifice. Just recently, uh, a friend of mine, uh, I've had the privilege of seeing him come to the Lord. And I've known him for 10 or 20 years. 10 or 20 years of praying. Doing everything I can to love him and be an example and do everything. And they've come to know the Lord. I'm so proud of them because they're on fire for God. It's real. I didn't just sit down with them trying to get to an end. You, you accept the Lord, right? Yeah, and then I'm done. I Man, I loved on them for 20 years. Easter, got baptized, doing one-on-one discipleship now. So proud, so incredibly proud. That's what it's about. Now, you need to know this as well. There's somebody that we poured into for about a year the last year. Sacrificed. Included them in everything. They walked away. Didn't want the gospel. Didn't want nothing to do with it. But we know we did what we're supposed to do. Now, I'm not here to lift myself up and say, look at me, I'm so good. I just know me best, and I know how hard it is for me. And I know my situations that I dealt with best. The Great Commission does not stop because of a culture full of obstacles 
and offended people. The Great Commission stops, to put it, you know, being nostalgic today, to put it the way a previous generation would say it, the Great Commission stops when the role is called up yonder. And it ain't been called yet, y'all. So let's go reach some people for Jesus. Fair enough? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. I thank you for every single person that is under the sound of my voice. God, uh, I pray that you give us the strength to be obedient, to do what it is you've called us to do. And we know that for the people that are looking for purpose in here, the thing that ultimately we're called to do is spread the gospel, the marching orders of the church, is to get people the good news. So I pray that we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we allow the Holy Spirit to control us so that we can get that good news out to a broken and dying world. We love you in Jesus' name. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.